All right, thanks for downloading the iTunes, Spotify, Apple, and Anchor uh, application. Uh, I am coming coming to you from the suburban parts of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This is the Voice Report. We got a great episode for you here today on episode two. One of the great basketball minds, one of the great basketball coaches in the United States. He has been in the, here in the Northeast for the past decade uh, plus as he is the associate head men's basketball coach at Penn State University, uh, Keith Ergo. But before we introduce uh, Keith, I want to remind everybody again, Thanksgiving is coming up, and we hope that everybody is stocking up on their uh, supplies and doing it in a safe manner. This year's Thanksgiving is just a little bit different, again, due to COVID-19. And we hope that everybody continues to stay safe, wash your hands, social distance, uh, remember to wash it for more than 20 seconds, but also um, to avoid large crowds. And if you are having Thanksgiving dinner, to please do it with really household fa- uh, family members. That's exactly what I'm planning to do uh, this year as well. We're not celebrating again uh, with uh, friends uh, and family. College basketball is officially back two days from now. Today is uh, Monday, November 23rd. Who would have thought that around this time we'd already be midway in the season, but again, because of uh, complications, uh, nobody expected this, and that's why uh, the NCAA got together and decided to do uh, the first official uh, home opener on Thanksgiving night or Thanksgiving Eve, and everybody's very, very happy about that. Let's get, to, but nonetheless, I want to get to this interview again, and here is, I'm proud to welcome him on, the associate head men's basketball coach at Penn State University. He has certainly had a long rodeo all the way up to State College, one of my good friends in the entire world, Keith Ergo. Coach, how you doing? I'm great, man. How you doing, boys? Thanks hey. for having me on, buddy. We are thrilled, as always, man. It's great to see you. It's great to talk to you. What you got going on up at State College right now? You know what, man? We're just dialed in, preparing for Drexel, who we got Wednesday here at 1 o'clock. So we're finally going to get a chance to, uh, to put our bodies against someone else, and our guys are fired up to finally go to battle and and uh, they're kind of sick of battling one another. We've been doing it since the middle of June. So it's finally here, you know, since our abrupt ending in March where we felt like we were, you know, poised to make a serious run. You were. Um, so now with this new group, a group of great, great kids, we're very excited to finally get the opportunity to play against someone else. Well, and that's one thing I wanted to talk to you about. Last year's team – uh, was probably one of the most surprising teams really in the entire nation. And I wanted to talk with you a little bit about that because this is this was definitely, again, led by Lamar Stevens. We're going to talk about what his next uh, journey in his life is, is going to be later on. But uh, led by Lamar and, and led by Isaiah Brockington and just among the names, how good was what, – what made last year's team a special team? You know what, um, the group of young men that we had uh, and the dedication and commitment, it really started the year prior, uh, two years ago, our last week, we started the Big Ten play at 0 for 0 at 10. And then we turned around that and we finished the, the month of February and early March as uh, arguably the hottest team in the Big Ten. When we turned it around, I think we were 8-2 and two, the final 10 games after going to 0 and 10 to start the Big Ten season and we got a first-round bye in the uh, Big Ten tournament that year, which was a surprise to absolutely everybody, but a testament to the to the guys and the 
Um, and everybody returned from that year. Everybody got older, better, more experienced. Um, obviously led by, you know, arguably the best player in the history of, of, uh, of Penn State, our new assistant, Taylor Battle. Probably wouldn't even argue that. You know, he was seven points away from becoming the all-time leading scorer and taking Taylor's spot. Um, you know, but didn't get an opportunity to play in the post postseason. So this is this is uh, Lamar uh, Stevens you're referring to. Yeah, Lamar Stevens. Uh, you know, just a tremendous leader, and it's and it's it's always important when your best player is also your hardest worker, and that has everybody below him, like guys like Seth Lundy. You know, fortunately, Seth was a freshman there, right there at Roman Catholic. With Tony Carr, Lamar Stevens, Nazir Bostic won a state title, Catholic League title, state title, you know. So he, as a freshman in Roman, got to learn from Lamar, and then when he came up here, it was the same situation. So when you have your younger guys coming up and they see the older guys in the program that are culture carriers, that are the hardest working guys on the, in the program, it just it takes your, your, your program to the next level. And it took us a long time to get to that point. Guys like Mike Watkins, you know, Curtis Jones came in here as a fifth-year senior, Lamar Stevens, and then you had a number of juniors like Jamari Wheeler, John Harar, Isaiah Brockington. Yep. You know, those guys that had logged a lot of minutes. You know, our, our, our current senior class, juniors with Lamar last year, our current senior class is, is the winningest class in the history of Penn State at this point with 61 wins in three years. That's so scary. Got a chance that is scary. Run. With 61 yeah, wins really good. in three years, and I wanted to, and I want to get right right into it uh, because you're, um, even though you didn't grow up here in the state of Pennsylvania, you've spent a lot of time here in PA. Whether you were coaching for uh, Jay Wright at Villanova, and for the past, and I want to say, I want to say seven or eight years. Oh, no, this is our tenth season here. This is your tenth Hold season. Okay, this is your tenth season. Here. So you've been here. So you've been out at State College for almost a decade now. What oh, has yeah. been the best part of recruiting Philadelphia kids? Because it does kind of seem that every year you're always coming down to Philly and you're always recruiting the PCL, the Philly pub, the Central League, the, you know. Do do you feel like Philly's becoming like the, Penn State's becoming like a second home for Philadelphians? There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. You know, Philadelphia kids have a toughness that you, you just can't teach. They have a knack for basketball, Philadelphia as a whole, the fan base, the pride they take in their high school basketball is unlike anywhere else. You know, the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area is tremendous as far as level of, of high-level high players and coaching. And Philadelphia is, is right there with them, but the pride that the Philadelphia fans have in all sports specifically their high school basketball, it can be felt when, you, when you're at the Catholic League final in the Palestra and it's sold out. There's nothing quite like that oh. environment anywhere in the country yeah. when it comes oh. to high school basketball. 10,000, yeah. As, as a result, you know, these kids, they get coached at a high level, um, you know, all the way through high school. The, the amount of coaches in the Philadelphia area that, that coach college-level programs, it's unbelievable. And, and these kids come in well-coached, they're tough, they're physical, they play harder than your normal freshmen or normal kids who come in, in, into college. You know, it takes a little bit to get acclimated to the level of uh, intensity that you need at this, uh, in the Big Ten. And Philadelphia kids come in with that chip on their shoulder, tough, physical, always playing hard, and, uh, and they compete at a very high level. So 
Um, it, it's, it's been a great avenue for us as far as recruiting is concerned and one that Penn Staters really weren't accustomed to prior to Pat Chambers becoming the coach here at Penn State. Yeah, you, you were about to um, get Mikhail Jones as well, another big-time Philadelphia name. Unfortunately, yep. Mikhail decided uh, uh, just to kind of go in another uh, direction, so you kind of answer pretty much proved my point. I mean, for the past four to five years, you and Coach Chambers and your staff have been sitting courtside or even in the stands at the Palestra watching your recruit kids. I mean, I'll never forget you and Coach Chambers were sitting, I want to say, three rows from the court watching uh, Tony Carr and Lamar Stevens at that time. And Nazir, and Nazir Bostic. And I forgot, that's right, I forgot about that. I just, you've pretty much, like I said, you've, you've proved my point that it just seems that you know, Penn Philly kids, they want to, they, they trust Penn State. They think of it like as a second home for, for Philadelphia. You grew up in the D.C. area. You mentioned that uh, WCAC yep. grew up at, you went to Gonzaga. You had a yep. good run. And what was, uh, t- tell me about this. Um, has there always been some kind of uh, bad blood or rivalry with the Catholic League and the WCAC? No, you know what? I think it's a mutual respect. We've had some battles. I, I, I went and played it at Gonzaga, and I played against uh, Donnie Carr and R.C. Keough at the Alhambra tournament. Our game, went, you know, when I was at Gonzaga, we played in the semifinals, I want to say, of the famed Alhambra tournament. Yeah. It used to be kind of like a mini NCAA tournament when we were back in the late 80s, uh, late 90s. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we battled Roman Catholic then. It was, went into a double overtime game. Donnie Carr had 40, but we... We prevailed, and, uh, you know, every year, you know, Gonzaga DC Classic, when I was coaching there or playing there, we always had a Roman Catholic or Newman Goretti, you know, when I was coaching at Gonzaga, we played against Scoop Jardine and, and Jackson, both going to Syracuse, yeah. uh, you know, and there seems to be a very high level of mutual respect between the two leagues, the coaching in both leagues is as good, if not better than anywhere else in the nation. Uh, from top to bottom, and obviously you have high-level players, a lot of D1 players in, in both leagues, and it's just competitive. And you just love to see that level of basketball. Um, so I think there's a mutual respect, and obviously there is some uh, competitive juices that get flowing. And yeah, you want to, you want to, obviously you want to defend your territory. But you no, know, both leagues have, like I said, as good a coaching there is in high school basketball, and as high-level basketball as far as players are concerned. Uh, anywhere in the nation as well. So you, you want to see? Would you ever? Back. Yeah. Would you ever want to see a DC Philadelphia challenge again? Oh, there's no question, man. There is nothing quite like you know the Alhambra back in the day, um, where you had top two Catholic teams, two Catholic league teams from New York. You had the top two Catholic teams from Philly. You had the top two. You had to win the league or win the playoffs in order to get there from either league. Um, and then you had some national brands come in, but that, well, actually it was two from the Baltimore Catholic League as well. After we beat Roman Catholic and Donnie Carr, we played, uh, Mark Karcher. And uh, St. And Francis, they, you know, sure. Mark Karcher in the, in, in the, uh, sure. in the finals of that tournament. So, you, you know, that, that tournament was kind of like a mini Northeast yeah. Catholic League NCAA tournament. And you almost wanted to make it there more than you wanted to win your own league. It was that prestigious. It was that. I mean, the games were packed 
every single night those games were packed. Um, there were college coaches everywhere. The environment was as good as you could have gotten for a high school basketball tournament. So I'd love to see it. Why not? Yeah, and, and you'd like to. And you'd like to. Uh, I'm sure you'd like to hear a very uh, well respected PA announcer doing those games. I'm sure. Oh, there's no matter. You know, I can only. I can only. I can picture just the voice. <laughs> Uh, his enthusiasm. Oh, uh, I'd get the crowd going. No question. No question. Hey, let's talk about... come out of Cumberland, Maryland like no other, oh. especially when you had that, that high-level basketball. I mean, we would all love to see it. The gym would be packed. Yes, we would. Yes, we would. Let's talk a little bit about you. You uh, yeah. you wanted to be a coach. Have you? Or I guess that's my question is, did you want to be a coach uh, when you got out of college? Yeah, you know what? I, I was fortunate to coach pretty much throughout high school, throughout college. That was my summer job. I had as many camps as I could possibly go to. And I, was, I, I helped start a nonprofit organization uh, playing for Peace, which is now Peace Players International, right out of college. Sure. Two of my closest friends, Devin and Sean Tui. So I lived in South Africa for a little while, then I lived in Northern Ireland. Uh, it's kind of like a basketball Peace Corps now. It's a global organization that, you know, is. Uh, fully funded in South Africa by the Nelson Mandela Foundation. Uh, I won the Arthur Ashe Award uh, in 2007. Um, it's in the West Bank. It's in Cyprus, Greece. It's, it's in Northern Ireland, obviously. It's a huge organization, kind of like a basketball peace corps. So I knew right off the bat that that's what I wanted to do. When I got home from that, I've just spent about two, a little over two years doing that. Um, I really didn't have anywhere to go as far as getting on a staff or doing anything like that. Um, but fortunately, uh, after about six months of being home, uh, Steve Turner from Gonzaga asked me to run his freshman or his JV summer league and uh, be the head coach of his, his freshman team. And then after one year, he wanted me on varsity. So, um, and I knew right then and there, I was in real estate, but I was concentrating. If we were playing the math on a Tuesday night, even as freshman, I was spending more of my afternoon game planning for that than getting out there and finding parcels of land. So I knew right off the bat, and everybody I knew, uh, all my mentors were basketball coaches. So I kind of knew what I, my calling was, what I wanted to be. Uh, and fortunately, I've been, I've been at the right time, right place, and yeah. part of some tremendous program. You've been fortunate. So, You've been very fortunate. Because yeah. um, the first time I met you was, and I want to say, I was I sort of like uninvited myself uh, <laughs> to Villanova. And I, I was, I want to say I was trying to just, at the time, I was still trying to break into the business. And I just remembered at the time, uh, Coach Wright, yourself, and all the staff members were hosting uh, an in-person recruit. I came up, I introduced myself to you, and you kind of just blew me off, which wasn't really much of a surprise, as did most <laughs> coaches at that time, who just kind of said, yeah, hey, how are you? Uh, and kind of just moved on. But then, of course, you and I, Became very good friends, and we've been friends yeah. since. Um, yeah, what was it like? Kind of just, I mean, Villanova is third in the country again, and as usual, they're for for at least the last ten plus years, and no surprise again, they're expected to make yet another run for an NCAA championship. Yeah. What what makes Villanova um, as elite as any program in this country? Oh, Jay Wright. I mean, Jay Wright, the administration, everybody understands the commitment to a high-level, successful basketball program. And, and what Jay Wright is able to do is develop unique and authentic relationships with his kids and his staff. 
from the moment, you know, from when he took over the job, really, um, he has such a unique ability to connect with his players. And everything is about the players. He understands that he doesn't exist without high-level basketball players, and he says it all the time. We're not in these positions without these kids. So as a result, he, you know, you're treated like, like gold when you're in Villanova, and rightfully so. They sacrifice a lot to play at a high level and to represent the university and um, his authentic relationships. You know, you recruit high-level basketball players, but you build incredible relationships with them. You don't necessarily need to teach them to dive on the floor, to take charges, to run through Gatorade coolers, whatever it takes to win. You know, you develop incredible, unique relationships, and they're just going to do that because they love you and they know that you're going to take care of them whether or not they're playing basketball or not, on or off the court. And Jay Wright has proven that over the years. And as yeah. a result, guys want to run through a brick wall for him, and that's unique. That's what makes that place different. And obviously what we feel like we've done here at Penn State is taking that model, and it's taken us a long time to get to that point. But we feel like we were the top ten team in the country for most of last season as a result of just that. Unique relationships with high-level kids on and off the court. And um, it's just uh, it's an incredible model, and we're fortunate to have been a part of it um, for, for the four and a half years I was. You know, the run in 2009 and Final Four, yeah, it was pretty surreal. You know, no, you were part of that. Quickly, and Jay used to say this. You know, you know, you guys came in here. This program's already built. My first year, was two thousand what seven, two thousand eight, and we went to the Sweet Sixteen. Sure. Then the next year, then the next year we go to the Final Four. Yeah, then on, a, on an infamous. Year, then the next year, yeah. we're number one in the country at one point for a while. And, you know, started the hottest start at that time in uh, in Villanova history. We were like twenty two and one or something like that. So, you know, all I experienced was success. But I wasn't there for the first seven or eight years where it was blood, sweat, and tears, where, you know, the first couple of years you had four walk-ons on the floor and, you know, learned how to build a program. So, um, fortunately, I've been able to do that here with Coach Chambers. And and you mentioned, uh, you know, Pat Chambers, um, one of the great uh, coaches in the country, but also one of the great human beings. Unfortunately, uh just a few weeks ago, uh, he, you know, it's just certainly was a. Um, again, we we're not going to go into the details, but with unexpected uh, resignation, and yeah. it, it was it hit. I'll say this: it was almost like it 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 was a lot of things I could say about that. It hit me. It was like twenty five elephants were sitting on on my face. It was like um, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Uh, because I thought this is the nicest human being in the world. How was Pat Chambers? Because he spent a lot of time with Jay as an assistant, yeah. as did you, uh, and then he yeah. took over to be the head coach. Uh, I know that he bounced around as well as Boston. You, how was he? Uh, he was salt of the earth. I mean, uh, you know, he's the baby of twelve. I'm one of ten. Uh, so, you know, he was the first guy I met outside of Villanova's basketball office when I came on my interview and I was in a suit and looked at me. He gave me a hug. I'd never met him. He goes, man, 10 people interviewed for this video job before you and not one of them drove, showed up in a suit. I guarantee you get this job. And uh, that was the first person I met on campus and we became incredibly close from that day forward after getting the job at Villanova. And he treated me as if I was, you know, he's the baby at 12, I'm the eight. So he treated me like I was his little brother. 
and uh, and we've had that relationship ever since. And after the 2009 Final Four, when he was the associate head coach, and he went on to Boston University, I stayed with Jay as an assistant. Yes. And then, you know, he got the job here June 17th, about nine and a half years ago, and he called me on the 24th. I was in his office up here uh, working for him a week later on the 24th. And, you know, so uh, well, actually, I think no, I think it was. He had the job on the 10th. I joined him on the 17th. Yes. And my, my, my first child was actually born a week later on the 24th while I was in this office. So, um, But he, he uh, you know, he's a superstar on and off the basketball court. He embodies, you know, what Jay Wright preached, and that's develop incredible, authentic relationships, care about the kids on and off the court, and good things are eventually going to happen uh, for your program. And, and it took a long, long time for us to get oh, yes. state basketball, and we did it the right way. He did it the right yeah, way. Yeah, right now you're actually, yeah, and you're with all respect, you're getting a little bit more popularity than, and no disrespect, because I respect James Franklin. Uh, he's a yeah. he's a hell he's a heck of a football coach at Penn State. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's been kind of a tough time to be a fan of that program. But I mean, it just seemed that over the past couple of years, more fans are now coming into the Bryce Jordan. I mean, there's still going to be the eighty to hundred thousand, uh, you know, in a football game. But it just seems like everybody's. Start. You, that's, that's what Pat Chambers did. He just turned around a program, and now you're becoming a popular program. Yeah, there's no question. We had the largest increase in attendance in NCAA. We were top it's scary. Five the largest, top five largest increase in attendance. And you're a football school. Last, and you're a football last school. Couple of years. Yeah, but you've always been a football school. You've always been a, you know, everybody always says that when they think of Penn State, if I could go down to like a place like, um, like say, Miami, Florida, and I say, hey, you know, um, how do you what do, what do you think about going to Penn State? I said you mean to play football? I said no, to play basketball. I said no, I, I think you must be mistaken because Penn State's a football school. I said no, it's not anymore. It, it's still maybe a football school, but basketball has now becoming. You know, that's where kids really want uh, to get uh, go. And Pat Chambers, I think, was a big reason why. Uh, you were able to do that. You know, you recruited kids down in your neck of the woods in D.C., in Philadelphia. Um, I, I believe uh, you've gone down as far as the Midwest, if I'm correct. You've recruited a couple kids down there. Oh, yeah, of course. We've got and, and that's, from Alabama, from Florida. Right. Recruits from California. We've, you know, that's you've always country. been a great negotiator, though. Well, and that, well, that well, yeah. It's the largest living alumni association in the world, over seven, 750,000. So, Penn Staters are everywhere. Now, the bulk, 365,000 live in that, live in that Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area. So, that tri-state area. So, that's, that's convenient for sure. But they're everywhere. And, uh, and as a result, it's a national brand. We've been able to recruit everywhere as well. So, so let's, let's go into last year's. And, uh, he recently, uh, again, uh, we're talking about Lamar Stevens. He recently joined the Cleveland Cavaliers on a two-way deal. Uh, you know, even though he did not get drafted, he did uh, officially sign his deal. We talked about this on previous podcasts about Tony Carr when he signed with the Pelicans. My question to you is, what was the highlight of Lamar Stevens' career? Oh, wow, the highlight. I mean, there's so many things you could say, but what was the best thing about being around him? Oh, he's, you know, obviously... Um, he and I had a, a very special relationship. He's actually up here right now, spending a couple of days here before he reports to Cleveland the day after Thanksgiving. But, um, you know, he meant a lot to me and my family 
Uh, he developed an incredible relationship with my third child, uh, which my daughter Samantha, who yes. was born with Down syndrome. He and oh. Samantha became uh, two peas in the pod. And, and obviously this past year, he wrote Lamar's Climb. He co- co-authored Lamar's Climb with our uh, marketing director, TJ Mullen. And my daughter was featured in that. And we did, as a result, we did everyone is awesome day here, which was a massive day here, a Saturday game where he signed the first 500 copies of that book. Um, and it just, he's met the world to my family and I, he spent a lot of time around my children. Um, he's just, it's got nothing to do with basketball. He's a tremendous young man who's matured over the years and he understands he's got the, he's got an attitude of gratitude as we like to call it. And, and he's very gra- gracious, grateful and gracious for what he has, for what he's been blessed with. And he's not afraid. He has the humility in order to get back to the community here. And that's why he, He'll be beloved, and he's a legend. He'll be beloved in State College forever. Yes, yes. No, he, he really will. And, uh, you know, over the past couple of years, it just seems Penn State kids continue to get, even if they don't get drafted, they do continue to at least put on NBA colors. Uh, are, are you are you proud of these kids that just continue to? Uh, and would you be surprised if Seth Lundy was next or someone like, say, Isaiah Brockington? You know, a couple of years ago, um, we, I think it's ESPN, I think two years ago after our NIT run, ESPN came out with top 10, um, uh, top 10 highest ranked coaches for player development, and Pat Chambers was ranked number seven. Really? What they did was they took numbers from guys that were freshmen all really? the way through their senior year and seen their numbers increase dramatically, and we were ranked number seven. As Pat Chambers is number seven? He was number seven as far as player development. We had the wow. graphic up in our office of using recruiting, and you know it shows the commitment and level not only of the kids but our staff. And our player development speaks for itself, and it's something we're very proud of. We've developed a number of pros over the last few years, starting with Tim Frazier, DJ Newville. You know, obviously Tony Carr was yes. drafted. You have Josh Reeves, who was oh, yeah. top fifteen rookies in the NBA. You have. Um, Guys like Lamar, obviously, and Isaiah Brock is going to have a yeah. chance. Was oh, like, yeah. Jones is going to have a chance. So that's scary. So was like, so you were number seven. Were you behind like um, Duke? Were you behind Michigan State? Were you behind? Um, uh, were you behind like no, you know the Kentuckys? To be honest with you, I, I don't think Kentucky. Those you got to remember, this was from freshman to senior year. So oh, oh, that makes sense. Well, right, because Kentucky's wanted. Yeah, programs, yeah, that makes sense because Kentucky's programs, wanted done. Some of those programs don't even have their kids long enough to develop. Them. Duke is the same way. Michigan State. Yeah. It's very rare nowadays. You have um, a couple kids that'll end up uh, graduating. I mean, it, it, again, the times obviously times have changed. I mean, when Dean Smith was coaching at UNC, or back when Coach K was. Um, Coach K, and I, I mean, he'll always be Coach K, but I mean, and Bobby Knight uh, graduated his kids in Indiana. So, yeah, no, I understand. And I, that's huge, though. Number seven in the country again for player development from freshman to senior. And it doesn't really surprise me because Pat Shavers, again, has come a long way to building um, yeah. this program as now a, a legitimate program. It's a powerhouse. Uh, if if I ever have a child, which I'm sure you probably would say, let's hope that never happens, I would probably want my kid to play at Penn State. I would want my son to play for, for Pat Shavers because he builds relationships and he also builds uh, 
uh, family members. Uh, and yeah. again, let's let's unfortunately let's probably ignore the fact that I even considered having a child. <laughs> but let's so let's so let's go uh, uh, let's go back. Um, yeah, and and that's a great uh, again the mentioning of Lamar Stevens, uh, and I know you love him as of course do I. A phenomenal human being, wonderful family by the way, Kim and. Lamar Senior have or uh, Lou Senior, excuse me, have done a phenomenal job. Lou, um, I go back to when Lou, uh, his brother, was a football player, F- phenomenal. And their daughter, I understand, is about to be uh, a big time athlete. I hear she's been doing uh, quite well. Uh, you will be headed again uh, starting Wednesday against Drexel and Zach Spiker. Jim Ferry has taken over as the new uh, interim coach. What are you most looking forward to working with him? You know, Coach Ferry, uh, he joined us a couple of years ago, and he's been a great tradition. He's a family man, and, you know, he's had two children actually graduate from Penn State, one of which did while he was a, a head coach at Duquesne, uh, and the other, his other daughter graduated from here, I think, after his first year here. So, you know, his pride for Penn State. I love working with him, obviously. He's a great basketball mind. He's been doing it a long time. Been a head coach for over 19 years prior to his stint here. His, uh, his knowledge of the game is absolutely fantastic. It's a, uh, so I, I just try to pick something from him each and every day. He's a great offensive coach. So what we've been able to do is kind of I'm, a, I'm more of a, a defensive-minded coach coming from Jay Wright and obviously Pat Chambers. Um, so we're, we're working together. I'm running defense. He's obviously controlling the offense. And, you know, it's just a, it's an opportunity to just be a sponge with a guy who's been around the game and has – a lot of knowledge of X's and O's. So for me, it's just a great opportunity to learn, be a sponge, and uh, anything I can take on a daily basis, I feel grateful for. Um, we've established a tremendous relationship. And what I'm, uh, what I'm most impressed with is, you know, he's been openly honest about how much he's learned since he's been working here at Penn State the last three years. And as a result, we really have just hit the ground running. We're running it as if Pat Chambers was the head coach. We're yeah. not changing anything. We're not changing any philosophies. It's pretty much the same offensive scheme we've had the last few years, which has averaged over 75 points a game. Same defensive scheme, which has been one of the top uh, defenses in the nation, specifically in the Big Ten. So there's not a whole lot. And, and having upperclassmen be the culture carriers, we're making sure we stick to exactly what we built here and kind of just transitioning and making it as easy and fun for the kids as we possibly can because it's always about the players always has been always will be and he's finally you know he, he understands that being here and uh it's been it's been a pleasure to work with him and uh i can't say how much i learned from him uh, i learned something every day and, yeah and, and and his family has become extremely close with my family so just incredibly grateful to have him be a part of my my journey That's for sure that's great. And uh, one one last uh, question before we let you go. Uh, and, and again, I want to just uh, for the uh, want to again say thank you for joining us here today. Because uh, as you know, this uh, podcast itself is uh, we're hoping it's going to be the future of high school and college uh, sports. Uh, we want to be the source. And, uh, you know, for someone as good as yourself to take time out of your busy schedule, I, I can't thank you enough for, for being a part of this. Uh, who do you uh, expect to contribute uh, for this year's team? Lamar is officially gone. Uh, Isaiah Brockington is back. Uh, Miles Dredd is back. There are, um, you know, and, and as you start um, in two days, 
the first of four home games before you hit the road for the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Who is expected to step up this year? Well, I'll tell you what, the Big Ten is incredible this year. Twelve of the 14 teams in the league have their top three out of five scorers returning, and we're no different. We're one of those teams. Myron Jones is a guy that people don't talk much about, but he was our he was our Robin to Batman. He was our he was our Robin to Lamar Stevens. Yes, an incredible yes, he was. scorer. Put up huge numbers before he got sick and missed the last six out of eight games of the season. We had beaten Michigan State at Michigan State. He had twenty seven at six threes. He was a top ten scorer in the league prior to that. The, the day after that game is when he got sick and he was out the next six games, or else he would have put up dramatic numbers. Um, so he, he's he's definitely um, someone that most people don't don't talk about, uh, but he is a tremendous scorer. And then obviously you guys got you know Jamari Wheeler is potential defensive player of the year. He led the league in steals. He, very good chance he leads the league in steals again. Uh, his offensive game has taken the next step. Uh, he understands pace and tempo now that he's a senior guard. Uh, he's tenacious. John Harar is looking to have another big year. Started most of the season last year. Him and Mike. Watkins would go back and forth, but John Arar is arguably the best leader we've ever had. He learned a lot from, from Lamar. He is a tremendous leader on the floor. He's an extension of the coach. And, you know, guys like Isaiah Brockington, I think, might be the most underrated player in the Big Ten. A lot of people have uh, sent tweets out about his development, um, but he is explosive. He's jumping higher than he ever has. He's making big-time plays on the defensive end, and really that was the next step high-level offensive score and athlete. Now can he turn it on defensively because that's what will get him to the next level. He's got everything you could, you could possibly need or want for the next level. So, you know, and then you got guys like Miles Dredd who's one of the best shooters in the nation. Certainly should be one of the top two or three shooters in the, in the Big Ten. Guys like Seth Lundy who started the last ten games of the year as a freshman. Learned a lot from Lamar. He's coming in. He's going to take on a much bigger role this year. He's got to rebound the ball. He's got to score inside and out. Last year he was more of a a perimeter threat this year. He's put the ball on the floor. He's defending multiple positions at a time. But with his back to the basket, he's really stepping up right now and uh, becoming a, a three-phase scorer, which is really, really important for us moving forward. So, you know, it, it's going to be an interesting group. Got a lot of experience. You know, um, Seth is the, the least experienced player we have in our top seven or eight guys. People forget we got Sam Sessoms, who's a junior yes. year, who's an explosive scorer, one of the smartest who should be, I've ever been Who should be, make a big um, impact so, as soon as he arrives. Yeah, so he's, he's a tremendous, tremendous leader. Uh, really, really, really high IQ and can score from every phase. You know, um, So we have a lot of talent, a lot of older guys with experience, which is going to serve us well, specifically in arenas where the crowds aren't necessarily a factor for the first time ever. So um, we're very excited. It's going to be a different brand of basketball. It's going to be a more complete brand of basketball. You know, with a guy like Lamar, you can tend to get it to him late-game situations and, you know, guys just stand around and watch such an elite athlete. But now we have a lot more ball movement and player movement. So... Um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. We're excited. Yeah, you should be. And you know what? Every day is a great day to be uh, a Nittany Lion. Uh, Keith Ergo, the associate head coach of Penn State University, 
thank you for joining us uh, here on The Voice Report. A pleasure, as always, to see you and to chat with you. And please continue to stay safe. Good luck uh, this coming Wednesday on Thanksgiving uh, or I should say on th- uh, Thanksgiving Eve against Drexel University, which you can find again 1 o'clock at the Bryce Jordan Center. Always a pleasure to talk to you, and good, good luck this season. I hope to see you down the road. And I have a feeling that uh, if there are tournaments this year, which I know there will be, we'll definitely see each other down the road at some point. Hey, boys, I just want to congratulate you, man. Your attendance I, in this business has been tremendous. I appreciate that. To your hard work. Uh, and you're able to network, and people love you, so you keep doing what you're doing. As far as everybody else, stay safe, please. We'd love to have a season to make sure everybody masks up, social distance, have a tremendous Thanksgiving, though it's going to be a little different. Be thankful for all the wonderful blessings we have. So appreciate the time. Appreciate you. I look forward to seeing you guys soon. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Coach. All right. I'm rolling sound here. I'm sitting here talking to one of the great basketball minds, one of the great basketball coaches in the United States. I'm talking to the 25th-ranked Michigan Wolverines head, or associate head men's basketball coach, Phil Martelli Sr. Uh, Phil, uh, first of all, uh, how are you? How are you doing? How, how are you feeling these days? Well, physically, I'm fine. Uh, mentally, I think that it's important for all coaches to be uh, focused on the mental aspects for their teams, I think for our own families. Uh, we're in such an unusual position in that, you know, there's games scheduled, there's games getting canceled. Yeah. Uh, we're going to play without fans. So there's a lot for these young guys to, uh, there's a lot for these young guys to, to uh, digest. We're speechless. Yeah, we're we're speechless. Everybody's speechless right now with what's going on. Even someone like myself who's working on uh, scheduling right now, you'd have to think we're not even two weeks before our high school season starts, and we still don't know uh, how many games are going to be played or if there even are going to be games played. So I I agree with you uh, on that. one of the reasons, again, why I asked you to come on uh, this new podcast, which, again, you can follow on uh, iTunes, Apple, Spotify, Anchor, and many more. Uh, you've been in this business a very long time. You grew up here in Philadelphia. I've always looked at you as a mentor, a friend, and as a, as a brother. Uh, obviously, we're not going to mention the school you spent 34 years at, or the, the school shall remain nameless, but tell us about your journey, because you started at St. Joe's Prep here in Philadelphia, went on to play over at uh, Wider, but I I was uh, very uh, intrigued when I found out who one of your teammates was, and that's Maurice Howard. So what was it really like in the Philly Catholic League? Uh, That's a really great question. It was was a badge of honor to to be on... (laughs) any one of the teams, you know, schools that have long since closed, but, but the St. James and the, and the St. Tommy Moore and, um, to, to go into places on Friday night. And it was the event in a school at Cardinal O'Hara. Um, and then had the opportunity to, to play against, you know, the legendary, uh, Speedy Morris's, teams at, at Roman Catholic. Yes. yes. To be on a team that was good enough when I was a high school junior to not only play in the Palestra in the Catholic League playoffs, but to win the championship. 
and and Mo Howard and Timmy Corlees and Billy Trusky and Brian Kenny, uh, Dr. J- uh, Jamie Walsh, Gene McCarron, Dave Gelmy, all of these guys, uh, Paul Opila, uh, all of these guys have just done. Uh, they were extraordinary players, and there were players in our schools who didn't make our teams that were really good players, and they were making a name for themselves in the high school CYO or the rec leagues or in the summer leagues. So it was a real honor to play in the league, uh, to play in the Catholic League, and to, to go against guys like Mike Arzen uh, at, at – uh, Cardinal Harris, it's Stefanski, Mike Stackett at Bonner, and on and on yeah. and on. And I've always said this, championships are for a lifetime. And any time and every time I have a chance to talk with Mo Howard uh, or Brian Kenny or any of the guys who are on the team, we can always refer to ourselves as the 1971 Catholic League champs. So you know what it's like on a, on a Monday night. Uh, and I haven't missed too many Monday nights at, at the Plestra. Yes. Just knowing that those young guys are going to have that same badge, that same tattoo. Um, and then you went further because you had a chance to play against a lot of those guys in the summer. You do. Yes. Whether- the Narberth League, Sunny Hill League was popular back in, in the 70s when you were playing. I mean, you know, the... Um, the uh, I believe there was the uh, what was that other Baker League, the Goodman League. You know, those are some of the greatest. And you know, Fran Dunphy did this at, at the Black uh, Black Sports Hall of Fame when he said the greatest honor that I ever could do besides playing college basketball was playing in the Baker League and having a chance to uh, to play with guys like Claude Gross. Uh, did you ever get to experience that? No, I wasn't. I wasn't good enough uh, <laughs> to play uh, in those kind of leagues. But but I did have a chance uh, as a kid to try out for Claude Gross's South Philly uh, Sunny Hill team. Do you ever have those chicken sandwiches? And yeah, and even even <laughs> the chance, uh, even the chance, as we well know, the legendary Concha Hawken tournament. Donna Freya, really, sure. really good to get on one of those teams. Um, so the other thing that's missing though, um, and I feel for the young guys today and I understand why they can't do it, but playing in the parks all over the city, uh, having a chance, I, I can, I don't have a great memory, but I do remember vividly being in the, uh, the eighth or the ninth grade and being able to go to 58th and King and play outdoors looking across the court and saying, that guy over there is is uh, an unusual player. There's not a lot of guys like him. And it was Joe Joe Bryant, yes. Kobe's dad. Yes. Uh, we're the same age, and we had a chance to play against each other in really what was a ninth grade or a junior varsity league at 58th and King Sesson. But they've always had, but it's not just at 58th. You've always had outdoor type of leagues. And I've driven by when I'm in the city – I get a chance to watch these young kids today, no matter what time. They could be out uh, from 12 or 8 at night to 5 in the morning. And that's, if you're really as committed to this game as you and I have been the last 
40 to 50 years of our lives, then you have to honor those things. I mean, the greatest thing I ever heard Dick Vitale ever say was Magic Johnson. It was a, a winter day in East Lansing, and Dick was trying to kind of push him away from Michigan State. And he said to um, and he said to Magic's mother that we want to take him out for breakfast. And I'm sorry, uh, Coach, uh, Magic is not here. It's 7 in the morning, and he's out working on his game. I mean, that's – you're right. It's not as much, Phil, as it used to be. But but there's still some of those who are doing that uh, on a daily basis. And just like on a societal note, uh, that's what hurts me when I read. Uh, you know, you know, I read the Philadelphia papers of course. every day, and, and when I read that there was a shooting at a playground. Yes, the, the playground used to be the safest place to go, a safe haven, and uh, we have to get back to that, and we have yeah. to get back to a. Uh, not just civility, uh, but a, a safety aspect. Young people have to be able to go out and play and not be cooped up in the house or not be somewhere plotting revenges. And things like So um, I, I do pain when I read, um, you know, the city of Philadelphia, a city that I love, uh, when I read a shooting at a playground. Yeah, no, and, 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 and honestly... Uh, Coach, I, I, I just you know with all these great players nowadays in the Philadelphia Pub and Catholic League who who have passed right before our eyes uh, because of incidents like that. I mean, we lost years ago Michael Blackshear, uh, most recently Simon, other Simon Gratz great Ross Carter. Uh, I could go on with names, a list of names, and they all have died and passed before our eyes because of. Shooting. Uh, when I started at West Catholic, we lost a player named Brandon Cole. That was a shoot. It wasn't a basketball incident, but he was going out one night. How about or uh, a guy you recruited in, at the school that shall remain nameless, um, Amar Stooks's brother? And you pretty much just answer your own question when it's just, it's not safe anymore. Everybody is at risk. It's a fear that we're trying to get rid of so that these kids will have places to go after school or before school. I've seen a lot of kids do that. Yeah, there's no question that, uh, you know, it should be the safest place. It should be a safe haven. And But players need a place to go work on their game. You know, it's not, it's not all hardwood. It's not all uniforms. It's not all referees. Uh, you can learn an awful lot on a blacktop. Uh, including leadership skills, conflict resolution, uh, organizational skills, that maybe not everybody's going to play college basketball. That's true. They learn on that, on that playground and apply it to later in life. And I absolutely agree. And when you got to college yourself, you played uh, at Widener University. Uh, what was that like playing? Uh, and, and what are some of your best moments at that school? Well, uh, I kind of, I kind of uh, again look at it and say I didn't quite understand it was it was basketball to me. And when I got the Widener, the thing that I appreciated is that it uh, at the Division three level there was a striving to win championships, and as it expanded to win national championships. I was there when a football team won a national championship. 
uh, a couple years after I left, they won another national championship. Yep. Uh, had a chance to be an assistant coach with a team that went to the Final Four in Division Three. And I've always said this, when I, when I look at the guys that I played with, uh, Jimmy Coyle from Cardinal O'Hara, who unfortunately passed away yep. at a young, he was a thousand point scorer. Dennis James from Southern High School, who uh, is in the Widener Hall of Fame, Athletic Hall of Fame, uh, was a remarkable player and was an NBA draft pick. Um, and, and he may have been a 2,000 point scorer. Mark Tucker from Northeast High School, 1,000 point scorer. Uh, Dennis Woodbury, Southern High School, 1,000 point scorer. I think, I think that over the course of my time at Widener, I played with uh, six or seven thousand point scores. Uh, and, you know, because the world is so small, when I went to coach at Bishop Penrick High School, I picked up the phone and called C. Allen Rowe, who was the coach at, at Widener, uh, my coach, and then the coach at the time. And I said, there's a, there's a young man at Cardinal Doherty High School who I think is kind of extraordinary. And, uh, he went out and he recruited Lou Stevens, the dad of Lamar yes, Stevens. That's right. Uh, Lou Stevens is an uh, all-time leading scorer. So uh, I, I have a lot of pride in uh, in you know St. Joseph's Prep and Widener, and I will say this clearly: that where I am today, and where I've been, and how I've done things, and and whether it's accolades or, or wins or relationships, it's all because of how I was treated and how I was coached from the grade school level, from the high school level by Eddie Burke, Fred Douglas, and by uh, my college experience with Seattle Row. So, yeah. Philadelphia basketball, as you well know, is uh, runs through me. It does. Yes, it, it does. Run through me. It does. A lot of people have... Uh... Have have said to me, have come up to me, and people that you know that have started listening to this new podcast, and uh, you were able to come on, uh, and you know this is probably the latest podcast I've done, and it's as always, it's it's great to see you and talk to you, but they don't know that you were a basketball coach at, at Kendrick at the defunct Bishop Kendrick High School. Uh, you coached alongside the great. Uh, with the great Gino Ariema, who's now won over 10 national championships at UConn. Um, what was that really like, um, you know, coaching at the high school level? Uh, it was a dream come true. When you think about it, I was 23 years old and I was the head high school coach in the Philadelphia Catholic League against guys like Bud Gardler and, yeah. and uh, uh, Joe Goldenberg, Max Levin, uh, Speedy Morris, uh, just these remarkable guys. And uh, Gino and I, uh, we both were married, but neither of us had children. We were together 350 days a year. Uh, and we treated our our program at Bishop Kenrick as if it was a college program. You know, we, we had plans for the summer, and we, we, uh, uh, we did individual work with the players, and we scouted, and uh, and and we got better at what we did. When I first started, uh, my first team at Bishop Kendrick did not make the playoffs. 
It's the only team that I had there that did not make the playoffs. And it was not – we had good players. And you um, had great success I, at that school, yeah. But I did a poor job. I was not, I was not as organized. And, and being in that league and competing against not just the coaches but the players that each school had uh, really motivated me to become very, very, very organized and very much more so a student of the game. I thought I was a student of the game, but until I got on the sideline uh, against that competition, I didn't really know what I didn't know. So, uh, you know, to think about even the Norristown High teams, John Cresswell and Bill Workheiser, and, and to scrimmage against uh, Plymouth, Plymouth White Marsh with Hank Stofko, coaches beyond, beyond, uh, beyond the pale in terms of uh, good coaches. They were all great coaches. And, uh, and you thought you were an av- kind of an average coach compared to every to all these other coaches, it seemed. And I, and I would say this that that, and I've always said this to young people, people that want to coach need to study. You need to study that you peop- the people that you're coaching against, and keep a book, keep a book of the things you like, things you didn't like, not just the X's and O's, but how about the way uh, somebody treats people? How about the way somebody runs a camp? Uh, and then to have, on top of that, the summer experiences that I had with with Kathy Rush, Hall of Famer, and all of the Immaculata program, Ed Rush, the NBA of official. To have at that, it was like getting a, a, an advanced degree in coaching. Uh, and again, I just repeat myself: I would not be, I would not have accomplished anything without the experiences that I had. At, at Bishop Kenrick and uh, Kathy Rush basketball camp. And what did you learn from someone like Kathy? I know that they did a really good documentary on on her, that Disney movie. Obviously, I know that's where you uh, you met your lovely wife, Judy. But what were some of the things that Kathy taught you that you instilled on your players? Uh, Kathy taught me organization, very much an organizational plan how to have a daily plan for practice, how to have a weekly plan, how to have a monthly plan. Uh, she was very much into observing, making sure that you watched other coaches. And you, and you didn't become, uh, uh, what's the right word? You didn't become jealous of another coach. studied them. Uh, you, 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 you picked what you liked and things that you didn't like. I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine... Uh, Jake sitting at a camp and Herb McGee's lecturing or Roly Massimino's lecturing or being there for Bobby Jones, the great 76er. He lectured at the camp. David Thompson, the Hall of Famer yeah. from NC State. State sure. but, you know, the Skywalker. Uh, and, and just to have had all these experiences and to work at a camp with, with uh, as a camper a Muffet McGraw or, 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 or Gino working at the camp. And um, I think at one camp, the people that I worked with at the Kathy Rush basketball camp, 117 of them went on to be college uh, women's head coaches. So, she, she's incredible. And she was incredible. And she'll always be remembered as somebody who uh, 
you know, lived her legacy and lived her life. And I mean, every time when you were at the, again, the nameless school that I used to stop by at, and to be able to watch the referees, and you became good friends with Kathy's uh, ex-husband, Ed, listening stories to that man, the wealth he brought, and he was so good at what he did. He really, um, he was, and I really would have loved to have been around for Kathy Rush because it just seemed every story I ever heard, Ed even said it best, she was probably the most intelligent and was so good at, at what she did at her job. No, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, rightfully so. The, what higher honor can you be given than Hall of Famer? And so, like, in, in our city, uh, John Cheney, Bird McGee, Kathy Rush, uh, these are some, obviously, some of the greatest coaches of all time, and we were in their orbit, and, and it truly is a blessing. But Phil Martelli's name is also up there at Future Hall Hall of Famer. And you did that at the nameless school for 34 years with 24 of them as head coach. And I always tell this story to people. You were my childhood. You let me live a great life of watching the college basketball world, especially the Big Five with the Temples, the Villanovas, the St. Joe's, the Pens, the LaSalle's. Um, you know, you had such great success. Jameer Nelson, Delonte West, Ahmad Nivens, Langston Galloway is now with the Pistons. Ronald Roberts, also a professional. My question to you, sir, is what was the atmosphere like at that school? Well, the atmosphere uh, revolved around so many loyal, uh, loyal fans. And the the joy that you could bring uh, on a win or, or uh, a lengthy uh, win streak. The, the opportunity to walk on the sideline uh, at the Palestra, to walk on the sideline in the, in the footprints left by Jack Ramsey and Jim Lynham, uh, John Griffin, and Jim Boyle. Uh, the the it mattered. Basketball, basketball really, really mattered. And not just winning, but how you went about it. And to, to be, quote-unquote, a small school in terms of, of uh, enrollment, but to be in a situation where you could uh, uh, compete uh, for championships. And yes, there's great memories of a VCU championship game or or, or a Rhode Island championship game, uh, but also there's other op- there's other opportunities like losing to a GW in the Atlantic Ten championship game or where yes. Xavier coached by Sean Miller sure. winning the Temple with, with with Fran Dunphy. Yes, those those are they're, they're it's tough to take. But the amount of effort and passion, uh, and that passion was was from the fans, from the families, and most especially from the players. Yeah, uh, and and that's and that you always say that Fred Dunphy is your brother, your brother uh, from another mother. It, it, you know, 
And I probably would think you would agree that every coach from Jay Wright to now the coaches now, Ashley Howard and Billy, uh, Coach Lang and Dr. Giannini, they're all our brothers. They're our basketball brothers. And that must have been exciting every game when you were the coach at, you know, to coach against Dove every single year. Was that special to you? Well, it was – the city games were, were just different. They were – I used to say to people it would be like a game and a half. So if it took you 24 hours to get over a game against St. Bonaventure and the great Mark Schmidt, it might take you 36 hours to get over a game against Temple. Uh, there was just that much invested invested in it. Yes. And like anybody out there, Jake, that, that you know, you go in the backyard and play one-on-one against your brother or yeah. – or Oh, yeah. Uh, and at the end, I mean, I, I've i said this to you before, the exchange with Duff and I when we would tell each other that we we loved each other, uh, that, that, that carried a special significance. But I don't want to undersell, don't want to undersell a- any of those, uh, anybody that's, that's, that's coached in our city. How about a guy like Bill Hurry? Uh, and, you know, how, how much effort and sweat and tears that he put in. And, and to, to have a chance to sit in the Concha Hawkins stands and just be with those guys after a hard-fought year or to, or to be together on a Coaches versus Cancer uh, fundraising evening, uh, it was much more than a competitor. We were not – we were much more than uh, competitors – and uh, I salute each and every every one of those guys, and uh, I'm really appreciative to have all of them in my life. And you, uh, you know, you mentioned coaches versus cancer. When you were coaching, 34 plus years again with 24 of them as the head coach, you were the only, beside every other coach, to give to really give back to the community. Uh, your children, all three of your kids, I believe, went to that school as well. Um, you know, I, I guess was it all worth? Was it all? Was it worth every second of your life that you spent while you roamed the halls of that school, between coaches of cancer, and then calling people like myself and Josh Verlin and Ari Rosenfeld and Del Greco Wilson and Chick Gillespie and Norm and and Al Rubin to to ask about you know when coaches weren't allowed into the Donna Frio or the the Narberth or Baker League was it worth all of those things you did? I wouldn't trade. I wouldn't trade. I wouldn't trade uh, any of it for uh, thirty-four years of Michigan. And these pe- people here treat me uh, like gold. Uh, we are in the pursuit of a national championship. We are blessed last year to have the number one recruiting class in the Big Ten. Yes. Uh, we we have purportedly the best recruiting class in the country for next year. Uh, but if someone was to say to me, we'll give you the national championship, but you have to give us back all of your memories and all of your relationships, all of your time in Philadelphia, I wouldn't make that trade. No, I know you wouldn't. And, and, and you know what? Uh, that definitely is – I myself, I'm, like I said, I'm having intentions to leave, to, to go away from this year because of what's going on 
But as I tell everybody, I'm a Philadelphian. I was, uh, I love this city. I'm proud to be a Philadelphian. I wouldn't trade it in for, uh, for the world. And now, as we've said it many times, the journey begins. Last year, you were, again, number one recruiting uh, class in the country. Uh, you've got a great freshman class coming in this year as you are now the associate head coach under Jawan Howard. First of all, um, in the last year, we've had this conversation a thousand times. What makes Jawan Howard as special as any other coach in this country? Because I walked, I walked in to Washington, D.C. Jawan walked in, I think was the second to last game. I went up, I shook his hand, I introduced myself, told him that you know I'm a good friend of yours. Uh, I've never met a more humble and more nicer person. You've used that word a lot. Is that uh, what could you say about Jawan Howard? Authentic, authentic, authentic. He, he, he uh, with all that he has had, all the successes that he's had, and if you want to do it financially. You know, he signed a hundred million dollar contract when he was when he was in the NBA. And think about the legacy of St. Joseph's basketball. That his first coach was Jim Lynham, his first general manager, John Nash. That's Philadelphia, right there. This is how the circle comes. And then he has um, he's authentic. So when somebody says, "Well, what about the recruiting successes?" I point to one person. Do we all work hard? Sadie Washington, who will be a head coach. Howard Isley, who will be a head coach. Yes, everybody works. Everybody works really hard. But the guy that gets his hands dirtiest uh, is is Jawan Howe. Uh, Jake, when you get an opportunity, come watch practice. You'll see him. He he, he is doing one on one drills with our big guys. Um, he's authentic through and through. Uh, authentic, and I actually have been thinking about this. Uh, like I, and I have such great admiration for not just what Jay Wright has accomplished, but can we think of a better fit than Villanova and Jay Wright? They are synonymous, and I think that we're going to see over the course of time that you're going to see the same kind of uh, same same kind of symmetry when people say Michigan and 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 uh, Jawan Howard. Now, let's not forget, you know, two of the last six years, or maybe two of the last seven years now, Michigan played in the final game. Yes. John Beeline. John Beeline is a Hall of Famer. Absolutely. And for, for me to say to you, uh, Jawan Howard is putting a, his, his stamp, uh, this was obviously not a program in disarray. And for him to put his stamp on it, his unique stamp, uh, this has been an honor for me to have the opportunity uh, to put my shoulder next to his shoulder in pursuit of a national championship. And you mentioned that um, you didn't know anything about him. Uh, you didn't know stories. You pretty much uh, have, like me, you have Wikipedia foo. Uh, you pretty much had to look him up. You were referred to him by the great John Calipari of Kentucky. And you also... Um, had to learn that his first love, of course, being Chicago. But you've said this a thousand times. His first love is Michigan. He is Michigan, and he will be Michigan for life. His son's going there this year as a freshman uh, out of the grace of his father. Uh, you've got Zeb Jackson from Montverde coming in, who 
grew up in the Ohio area, Hunter Dickinson of D.C., and you were able to convince Terrence Williams to leave, well, after he decommitted from Georgetown, to say, why don't you come to Michigan? And it just seems Jawan will continue to, and not, let's not forget another Monford, Caleb Houston next year is coming into that school. It just seems that Jawan Howard, you know, it's not even the name, it's it's how he is working to get these recruits to come in. Have you ever seen a guy do it as well as he does? Well, I've never worked, you know, side by side with somebody uh, like it, but I would just make one correction. Juan Howard's first love is his family. True. That was the hook for me. That's true. You know, and, that, and, then, and then he had a love for, for Michigan, what Michigan uh, provided for him and what he wanted to provide to that next generation. Uh, of, of young people. So uh, I think that he, he, not just not just the recruiting, uh, but I think that they, when people see the package, player development, uh, the thought process that goes into uh, offensive systems with the idea of we want to put players in position uh, to be successful on the next level. And uh, he, how he does it, uh, he, he is, uh, you know, I don't want to put a jinx on anybody, but when I say he will coach on a Monday night in April, he will coach on a Monday night in April. I am convinced. Oh, I, I don't disagree with that. And if you think that you're going to stay 25th in the country for the whole season, then I think everybody's talking crazy because I think that number is going to rise. Last year, Michigan uh, at this time, you were in, I believe, in the Bahamas, the Battle for Atlantis. You won that against, I believe, North Carolina. And then you ended up, I think you beat three top ten teams in three straight days. Is that correct? I don't think Iowa State was ranked at the time. Okay, but they were, but they're still a national program. Right. Carolina was undefeated. Then we beat Gonzaga in the championship. Correct. They were, they were as high as four or five. Exactly. And, and, and when you mentioned that, and a lot of that is, like you said, it's led because of great coaching. You have great assistants, including yourself. And, you know, Howard Isley played the NBA for so many years. He has that basketball IQ. Um, but again, Jawan Howard, like I said, the smile on that guy's face when he walked in uh, to the team takeover basketball events just made me say, oh, yeah, he's just... He's probably as big a sweetheart as you're ever going to meet. There's no way he's got a mean bone in his body, and people uh, love him. Before we get to uh, the final uh, section of the Michigan basketball, uh, as a father, uh, you have two sons coaching in the basketball world. Your son Jimmy is at uh, Virginia Commonwealth, and your son Philip is at Bryant. What advice uh, do you give them as coaches? Well, the biggest uh, is... Silence is golden. Uh, learn. You don't have all the answers. Uh, you have to make sure that you learn. And build build real relationships. Uh, and I'll say this. There's a lot of people that can take the title coach. They think that has to do with a zone or a, or a man-to-man play or an out-of-bounds play. But the title of coach really should be that of teacher. And, it, and the very best teachers in all of our school, school buildings and, and uh, virtually on now online build real relationships.
relationships with their students, with their staffs in their buildings, and with their parents. And I would suggest I suggest to Philip and Jimmy, who are both going to be outstanding at at at, at this profession, to make sure that they have real relationships. I certainly, uh, yeah, I certainly uh, believe that they will. Uh, all right, so Michigan again begins its play against Bowling Green State two days from today. Today is November 23rd, Thanksgiving Eve at 4 o'clock. Uh, you'll play the first of six games at home, including the Big Ten ACC Challenge against uh, NC State. I've looked from top to bottom with Franz Wagner, Eli Brooks, and that freshman class again that you have. Uh, how excited are you for hoops at the Chrysler Center? Well, I'm very, very, very excited. Uh, and, I, and I'm most excited for the players to have the opportunity to compete. Uh, I, all of us have to contribute. All of us have to stay safe. All of us have to mask up. And we have to deal with each day and, and not look ahead and say, boy, I can't wait to play that NC State game or I can't wait to play you know, Penn State in our Big Ten opener. What we can hope for is that tomorrow when we wake up, we still have practice, we still have our daily testing, and that not just basketball, uh, but that people, uh, so many who are hurting, uh, can be made whole. And if our game helps, then people can sit and watch and cheer, uh, then let's use this game for the greater good, which has always been meant to be. You are, as always... A standout human being, sir, and as always, I'm very proud to call you my brother. Phil Martelli again here on The Voice Report. Uh, Michigan basketball, 25th of the country, will take on again Bowling Green State University on November 25th, Thanksgiving night, uh, on again Wednesday at 4 o'clock. Phil, as always, we appreciate you stopping by here again. Uh, stay safe out there. My regards to Coach Juwan and to the entire staff of Michigan, to the Martelli family. Have a happy and healthy Thanksgiving, and we'll hopefully see you very soon. All right, everybody out there, be safe. Mask uh, up. All right.